Hey, good morning. Aren't you guys glad we're not one of those churches that turns the heat up so high you sweat? Isn't that nice? Nobody needs that. Some of those folks are going to be wishing uh, that the heat went out at some point, right? Um, hey, will you stand with me? We're going to read uh, our verses from Second Peter here, verses 1 through 8. So let's just stand and reverence to God and... and you can uh, get your Bible out, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, or you can just follow along as I read it. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we give this time to you and just ask that your word would land on good soil, that it would be seed that finds a place to take root in our hearts and in our minds, that we would be receptive to that. And God, we just ask that if there's anything that's spoken here this morning that's not the fullness of your truth, that you would just let that hit the path and be trampled underfoot and wither away. But let only take root what is the fullness of your truth that glorifies your son and lifts his name up and transforms us into his image. And we ask that in his name, amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So I, I wanna tell you a story. Recently we brought this uh, kind of cabinet thing that um, was designed to hold like recycling. It's got two cabinets. It holds like recycling and a trash can and it's got a couple drawers on top. And um, when it arrived, it was in this box. It weighed like a lot. And it had like 3,487 pieces and 1,223 steps to assemble it. And so I got it all out and I started putting it together. It literally took three hours. And now this was like a legit three hours. I did not mess up one step. For the first time, I said, I'm going to read every instruction and I'm going to do what it says, and I'm going to follow the sequence so I don't have to take it apart at some point when I'm halfway through and then go back and start over. And so, so it's kind of like one of those Ikea pieces of furniture. Has anybody ever shopped at Ikea? Yeah? Um, you get like this 300-pound box, and it has every part labeled, and all the, the hardware's labeled with these letters and numbers, and the instructions come in like 12 different languages, and sometimes you're reading the instructions, and it feels like the dude that was writing the instructions just decided to ping-pong to different languages in the middle of the instructions, and you're going along, and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't think that's an English word. I don't, I don't know what this is all about. But... Um, 
You know, it's really cool because you can get all kinds of good stuff at Ikea. Ikea has tremendous things that you can buy. I want to show you guys some of the things they sell now. So like you can buy a log cabin at Ikea. <laughs> and, and now I, you may not know this, but Ikea now has a book section. <laughs> and, and they've been around a really, really long time. They used to sell pyramids. They have even got in Ikea now water. You can buy water in Ikea. Yeah, some of you guys need to go back to science class. You didn't get that. <laughs> but this time of year, what's great is they have a Christmas section. You can buy Christmas trees, live Christmas trees at Ikea. And, and actually, I'm not, I don't mean to disparage Ikea because they're a great company to work for, but they have a very, very rigorous interview process. But, but here's the problem. A lot of times, we get their products and they kind of leave us feeling like this. <laughs> and here's the deal. When you read Second uh, Peter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7, it can kind of have you feeling like that too. Because when you read it, it feels like, oh, there's assembly required, Right? Listen to these verses again. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Doesn't that sound a lot like assembly required? You take the faith you have now and then you attach this moral excellence to it and then use bolt A2 to attach the knowledge and now take this wooden dowel and insert it into the knowledge and affix self-control on top of it and then once the self-control is tightened, then screw on the perseverance. Now place the godliness on the self-control and tighten it with bolt B5 and nut F3 and then fasten brotherly love to the top of the godliness with these four screws A7. Finally, set the entire assembly on love and anchor it to the wall. Doesn't it kind of feel like that when you read it? Doesn't spiritual growth, kind of living out of the divine nature in us tend to start to feel like we're doing this building project? We just kind of look at it and go, okay, God is the perfect Ikea. He boxes it all up for me. He's going to ship it to me. I'm going to open the box and inside is going to be all the hardware that I need and all the tools that I need are going to be listed out for me and he's going to give me the instructions and then I struggle to understand the diagram and I figure out what parts are what and then I wrestle with trying to make all these spiritual pieces fit together and try to get it in the right order and then I attach the wrong thing at the wrong time then I got to take it all apart and start all over again and then finally I get it all done and it just doesn't look like the picture. We have all these parts left over. We don't know what to do. Have you guys ever been there? Ever read your Bible and you felt like I don't know how to put all this together. What am I supposed to do with this? And so you read a verse and you're like, let the peace of, of God guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And we go, that's what I need in my life. I need to bring some of that in. I need to put that together. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out how to get that. So let me figure out how to put this together where I get this peace of God that guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then I try to put it all together. And this, this peace of God fixture just doesn't come together in my life. It's like I read it and I go, well, it's supposed to be there, but it's not there, so I must be putting it together wrong. 
Can I tell you why this happens? It's, it's actually really simple. It happens because we misunderstand much of the truth of Scripture and how it works simply because we have the wrong metaphor. That's the reality of it. We have an assembly metaphor, a building metaphor. And that's not what the Bible uses as a base metaphor. It conveys truth with a completely different base metaphor. And so we approach it with our metaphor of building, and that's not the metaphor God uses to describe the spiritual life, and we just can't make it fit. Listen to this. Behold, a sower went out to sow. So Matthew 13. You will know them by their fruits, Matthew 7. I am the vine and you are the branches, John 15. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies, 1 Corinthians 15. Be patient. See how the farmer waits for the fruit of the earth? In James 5, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. It's in Revelation 14. Listen to this one. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 12, 24. Do you see the metaphor that God consistently and constantly uses to describe the spiritual life? It's an agricultural metaphor. The Bible uses agricultural metaphors over and over and over to describe the process of spiritual growth, of holiness, of the kingdom of God. See, here's the thing. The spiritual life actually grows in us. It's not built by us. Holiness produces in us. It's not a product of us. The kingdom of God is growing in the world. We are not pushing the kingdom into the world. Now, all that matters because when we look at 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 8, it's all about growing spiritually. That's what it is. It's about us becoming holy and the kingdom overtaking us. And so here's the problem. If we have a building approach, a building metaphor in our heads instead of an agricultural metaphor, we will end up like this when we go into our spiritual life. We get frustrated. We feel like we're not doing it right. Something's not right. The pieces just don't fit together. And so we spiritually lie on the floor and wait for something to happen that will not happen. So now I want to go back to verses 5 through 8 with all this in mind. I want you to see these verses for a change through an agricultural metaphor instead of a building metaphor, which is the one we like to cling to because when I have a building metaphor, guess who gets the credit for the building? I do. I built it. I constructed it. I put it together. And so listen to this in verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence. So for this reason, what reason? Well, the reason that we talked about last week. Through these, he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, we may become partakers of the divine nature. The reason that Peter's introducing in verse 5, telling us to embrace this process is this. The reason God has given us everything, we need to realize the promises that he made to us. He's already given it all to us. The promise is to become a partaker of his divine nature. 
That's the reason. That's the reason that Peter is citing here in verse 5. And so now with this reason, what do we do? Well, we apply all diligence. And the Greek word there is spude. It's a word that means to zealously and swiftly seek the best over the good. To seek the most important over the important. You see the difference in the approach there? Because oftentimes we see it as either or. The the average Christian is not struggling in their spiritual life because they don't want what is good. The average Christian is struggling in their spiritual life because they're willing to settle for what is good instead of what is best. That's our problem, and that's what stops the growth that's going to happen. And so spude actually becomes more about what you're wanting and seeking and desiring and less about what you're building and doing. Peter's introducing that. And so God knows that our doing actually flows out of our desiring. That's why these verses are true when you take an agricultural metaphor to filter them through instead of a building metaphor. And so now that we're given the fact that spiritual growth and holiness and the kingdom are more served by agricultural metaphors than building metaphors, we can actually begin to adopt an agricultural approach in our process of maturing spiritually instead of a building approach. And here's why that matters. Because you see, unlike what Ikea would have me believe, the cabinet I bought is not inclined by nature to come together on its own doesn't want to do that. It's actually the opposite. I have to force it together. It doesn't naturally want to draw onto itself. And any of you that have ever assembled anything from Ikea know I'm absolutely right. That thing is not working with you. (laughs) It's working against you. And when we recognize that our souls are designed to function like seeds, not like Ikea furniture, we then begin to understand that by nature, like a seed, my soul is longing to grow towards the sun. When we recognize that God tells us that our soul functions more like a seed than something that needs to be built, the natural process starts to come to life. So my soul, like a seed, is designed to grow towards communion and union with God, to burst forth from the husk of this fallen nature and sprout forth from the soil of this corrupt earth. That's what it wants to do. That's what it's designed to do. That's what it's longed to do. It wants to bring forth the fruit of goodness and relational knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly love and to ultimately culminate in the never-rotting, always-blossoming fruit of agape love. That's what our souls want to do. Selfless love. Genuine love. Esteem of others as more important than myself. That's the very love of Jesus. And that very love is lived out in and through me because that seed has grown as it was intended by the Holy Spirit. And it was watered by the Word. And it was pruned by the Father. And it was allowed to follow its naturally designed process without impediment of the corruption of lust or wrong desiring. That's what Peter's telling us in these verses. Isn't that good news? 
So then the question is, then what do I do in this process, right? What am I supposed to do with all this? I mean, if it's naturally happening in me, then what's my role? Is it just a passive one? Do I wait around? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you're not certain of this, if you don't believe me on this, here's what you do. After this service, you find Brad or Ken Nicholson or Charles Hotkey or any of the other fantastic farmers in this church and you ask them if they passively wait after they plant that seed. Because everybody that's ever farmed knows that waiting on a seed to sprout and grow is not a passive endeavor. But they also know that the process of that happening is designed by God, not them. Now, when you go to Ken or Brad or Charles and go, hey, so after you plant the seed, you guys just sit around. Don't be offended when they laugh in your face. Because they're busy. They're not passive at all. They know they have to be intentional in plowing and watering and fertilizing and tending and harvesting. Oh, and by the way, guess what happens at the end of each season when they get to harvest what they've grown? they get to spend a whole bunch of time preparing for the next season. They don't just get to walk away. And so what if part of what God is doing in your life now isn't about now, but it's about the next season to come? Doesn't that change your growth perspective? Because if all you're trying to do is build something here and now in this moment, then you will miss the blessings that he is bringing in to grow you, to prepare you for the next season. And so we have to be intentional and involved with the growth of our souls just as a farmer is with their crops. It doesn't work if we don't get involved. We also have to recognize that God is always preparing our soul for the next season. What's the ultimate next season? Well, it's living in his presence for all of eternity. But there's a lot of seasons between this one and that one. There's a lot we gotta live into here now before we get there. And that's why Peter is telling us to apply all diligence. That word for diligence means to lavishly supply. Lavishly supply as it is suitable to outfit all that is needed, get this, to accomplish a grand objective. Part of the reason we don't grow is because we think too small. Just the way it is. We don't have the grand objective that Peter's talking about. See, here's what Peter's doing. He's encouraging us to structure and frame our lives around this organic process with intention so that the grand objective of verse eight becoming more and more realized in our lives. And remember the ultimate fruit that's produced by engaging in this process is agape love. Listen to this again. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember that word knowledge we talked about before. That's not a head knowing. That's an intimate relational knowing. So if this stuff is mine and it's increasing and I'm participating in the organic process of the soul to grow and produce fruit, then what's happening? I'm getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. I'm getting more intimate with him. I read this morning in Isaiah in my my morning prayer time a verse that hit me and it says, God's talking and he says, you are written on my palms 
Isn't that amazing? Because all I could think about is I, your attention to me is never any further than your hands away. You're constantly thinking on me. That's what Peter's talking about here. The kind of knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that grows through this process when we apply diligence is a knowledge of deep, deep intimacy, relational closeness. And so think of the qualities that Peter is sharing as the things necessary for a seed to grow into the very life of Christ in us. Because you you have to have a seed, you have to have healthy roots, you have to have a strong stem, you have to have leaves, it's got to be watered, you need sunlight, you need branches to hold the fruit. And then Peter comes along and substitutes all of those pieces of a plant with this, moral excellence, that's the root. Knowledge, that's the stem. Self-control, the leaves. Perseverance is the water. Godliness is the fruit. Brotherly kindness is the strength of the plant. Love is what happens when you get a field of these plants growing together. (laughs) Just as a plant needs all of its parts to be healthy, we need all of those things to be healthy, to be growing. Now, I'm sure you probably noticed that I excluded the most important thing that Peter talks about here. It's faith. Because he starts with this, in your faith, supply. That's where he starts. And here's the thing. The faith, I didn't bring it up in the parts of the plant because it's the soil. It's the soil that God's given to us. And good farmers know when they plant and when they tend and eventually sow, they're doing all of that because God has provided the soil. Harvesting is a cause for praise for farmers who know God. Because they know he designed the process. He created the seed. And most importantly, he gave them the soil to put it in. Yeah, they worked and they toiled. But they know that all the production, all the increase is by the grace of God because it starts with the soil. And that same thing is true of us as Christians. If we're harvesting a spiritual increase in our lives, if we see growth and fruit in becoming like Christ, it's because of the gift of faith that God has given us. We've been given faith. Listen to this in Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. I'm not gonna lie. When I finished that cabinet, man, I felt like I had climbed Everest or swum the English Channel. I now know how those explorers who go to places no one's ever been feels because I completed the Ikea cabinet. I was proud of myself. Here's the problem with that. When we have a building mentality, when it comes to our soul, it's always going to lead us to pride. Look what I've made out of me. Look what I've built out of me. But when we have an agricultural understanding of the soul, it leads to humility. And humility is absolutely necessary if I'm going to truly honor God. I cannot truly honor God without humility. And so what we talked about last week, and hopefully you've you've found some time to do this, is that divine reading, what, what people call Lexio Divina. And it's actually a way of deeply and intensely tending the soil. 
it takes us back to that measure of faith that's in us. And so I want to remind you of those steps. Those steps are, first you read the scripture, and then you read it again and you pray, and then you read it again and you meditate, then you read it again and you contemplate it. And remember that we talked about that as kind of like a marinating practice. All I'm really doing is setting my soul in that, that flavor of scripture, that truth can permeate. And so think of that practice as kind of putting fertilizer on the soil. What I'm doing is I'm sprinkling something on it that will help growth happen in there. It's actually practicing Colossians 3.16. It's letting us sit and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So it takes the measure of faith that all of us have been granted, even those who don't believe have been granted a measure of faith. They simply found a way to squash it and quell it. But they've still been given it They just decided, I'm not going to supply all diligence. I'm not going to seek anything else in this. I'm just going to let it sit there and not be tended to. And so it takes that measure of faith that we've been granted, and it marinates it in the nutrients of truth. It fertilizes it with the reality of God. It makes your individual and personal faith a place where the growth of your soul in Jesus can happen efficiently and effectively. That's the point of divine reading. It gives you those qualities that Peter talks about, that he says, supply with all diligence, apply these things, moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly love, ultimately arriving at a place where we are the very manifestation of the agape love of Christ in a fallen world that needs to know its love. Then, then as you continue to practice it, what happens is those things increase. But they don't increase incrementally. It's not like I get every time another step, another step. They increase exponentially. They grow and grow and grow beyond our wildest imagination. And so I want to encourage you to practice divine reading to view it not as a building process. You're not trying to construct something in this, but as a way to participate in the natural growth process of the soul. The way God designed us to come to life. Now, in order to do that, I admit, you you can't have the attitude that I have in me when I finished my Ikea cabinet. Look at me. Look how wonderful I am. Look what I built. We have to have the attitude of, look what's growing. Look what I get to tend to. You know, I want to share one of my favorite quotes. It's from a a poet named Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he wrote, the creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn. Think about that for a minute. The creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn. What if we viewed each of us as an acorn? (laughs) And we said, you know what, God, what I want to do is I want to be planted in the soil that you've given me, which is the faith that you made me a partaker of, that you bestowed on me. And I want to understand the process. I want to let that process unfold. I want this seed to go into that soil and die, that self, knowing that when that dies, it begins to grow. And I want to apply all diligence in that process. And I want to desire and seek moral knowledge, excellence, godliness. I want to persevere in that. 
I want to desire brotherly love and kindness in my life because I know that as those things start to grow in me, what's going to happen is I'm going to turn into the embodiment, the incarnation of your very love. And when that happens, thousands and thousands and thousands of acorns are going to fall off this one that grew up. And they're going to start to grow. Because a single tree will produce thousands of seeds over its lifetime. That's what we're invited into. That's the process. A soul growing and producing fruit in Christ produces thousands of seeds of that very growth, that very love. And that's why I think that the greatest evangelical endeavor that we engage in is not what we say to those outside these walls, but what we do with the one that lives in these walls. The greatest evangelism tool known to man is for the followers of Jesus to become more like Jesus and then go live their lives in the soil, in the vineyard he's given them to tend to. Because when that happens, the world can't explain it away. They can't make any excuse for it. All they can do is look and say, hey, can I come and see? Can I just come and see? Can I come and see what it looks like in your world? Can I come and see what it looks like in your heart and in your mind? Can I come and see how you handle things? Because you don't seem to do it the way I do it. And it seems like your tree is producing a lot of fruit. And every once in a while, if I'm lucky, I get to pluck something off and eat it off the tree that's my life. See, here's the thing. In these verses in 2 Peter, he's inviting us to participate in the natural process that God has designed for every soul to walk through, to be brought through. The question is this. Are you going to apply all diligence? Are you going to stop saying this is good, but I can stop here instead of this is good, but I want best? Are you going to stop looking at your world and saying, this is important, and so I need to resolve it, and going to say, this is important, but there's more important? It's a perspective changer. That's what divine reading does for us. When we practice that discipline of divine reading, it opens our eyes to things that we would have never considered as important before. It shows us what really matters and how to press to it. More importantly, it turns us into evangelists who cannot be contained because now we're sharing a life, not a belief. We're living something instead of talking about something. We're actually becoming a manifestation of Jesus himself in this place. I can't prove this, but I feel fairly certain in saying that Jesus never visited Sarnia, Canada. He didn't have boots. Nobody's going to come here in sandals, right? Especially today when the heat's out. But he's visiting it now. He's here now. Look around this room. Here he is. He's in each of us saying, hey, take me to those places I never walked. Show me to the people who never saw me. And that's why we do what we do. 
And so I want to encourage you not to say, okay, we talked two weeks about divine reading, now I can move on to something else, but to actually say, no, I'm going to settle in this. If you don't practice any other spiritual discipline, practice this one. Make it part of your daily spiritual activity. Now, I know it might cost you 30 minutes. I know that. But 30 minutes isn't a lot. Because again, we're back to what's important versus what's most important. What's good versus best. I can almost guarantee you that if you practice this discipline for 10 days every day, you're gonna begin to say, no, this is most important. No, this is what's best. These other things are good, but this is what's best. Maybe what you need to do is find a couple other people who you can practice it with. Not necessarily meet in the same space, but say, hey, we're gonna read the same verses this week and we're gonna do this same process this week and we're gonna engage it in the same way and we're gonna hold each other accountable and we're gonna share a text or an email that just says, hey, this is what God is showing me in this. This is what God is inviting me into in this. This is what God's speaking into my life in this. Because if you try to do it on your own, oftentimes what happens is we get to the place where we go, I don't even know if I'm doing this right. But if others can come alongside us, now all of a sudden we got a body. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you start with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and say, hey, we're going to practice Lexio Divina. This week, we're going to go through these eight verses and take those steps and practice it. Maybe you just do it yourself. I know this, on the days that I don't get a chance to do that in the morning, honestly, I feel like I can't breathe most of the day. I would bet you that Doreen knows the days I don't do that because I become a little bit of an obnoxious, impatient jerk. Isn't it funny how we understand that we need to feed our bodies several times a day, but we think our soul doesn't need to be fed several times a day? Just once. I had my quiet time this morning, which usually, honestly, if we're truthful, for most of us, that quiet time in the morning means the time where I sit and worry about all the junk I got to do today that I don't know how I'm going to do. And then we go, oh, Jesus, I need you in this. Amen. Let's go. And then we say, I'll see you tomorrow morning. You don't need to walk into the day with me. I'll see you tomorrow. You know why we do that? Because we don't have a growth metaphor. We have a building metaphor. I'm trying to build a life instead of grow one. And so divine reading is a way to let that grow in us. So I want to invite you into practicing that even though we're, we're not going to talk about it next week. We're going to open our Christmas series next week. But I think Advent season is the perfect time to practice divine reading because here's what happens. We begin to sit and wait and say, something is happening. I need to persevere in the waiting And Pastor James is going to talk to us about that very thing next week. So that's the challenge. That's the encouragement. Engage in this process. Participate in this process of the seed of your soul being planted into the soil, dying and beginning to grow and produce fruit by practicing, continuing to practicing that practice of divine reading. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that you made all this to work in such a way that if we would just apply a little diligence and set a desire towards you, that the process happens. We want to grow. We know that the soil is good. You've given us all that soil, that measure of faith. And so we want to tend that. We want to water it with your word.
We want to allow you to prune what pops up out of this ground. We want your spirit to continue to let that seed of our soul die in this soil and deepen our roots so that we become the very life of your son in this place so that others may see him and know him and we can manifest the love that he is in the lives of those who need to be loved. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.